Well, those uh, last two songs are the perfect segue into today's message, as we, especially this, that second verse, where this is the one that we'll be talking about too, as the shepherds were out in their fields by night. And we've been looking at at uh, different songs that are that are part of the Christmas narrative in the Gospel of Luke, and so I. I pray that the songs of Christmas have been a huge part of your Christmas celebrations already this month and that they will continue to be for this next week and even a little bit further. These songs are, that we're looking at here in Luke are, are part of God's Word in the Bible and so we've called them the, the perfect Christmas carols. We've already looked at the song of Mary, Mary who was the, the humble servant and we've already looked last week at the song of the silent priest, Zacharias. And today we want to look at um, the song of the angels, sometimes actually called Gloria in Excelsis Deo, that song that we just sang, which means glory to God in the highest. But before we do that, I'm just going to ask the Lord to help us see what he wants us to see out of his word this morning. So join me as I pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the songs that are tucked into the story of Christmas, these, uh, these amazing events that happened there in Bethlehem. Lord, we thank you that you have given these songs to us as a, as a way to encourage us to worship, as a way to encourage us to, to observe and to meditate upon what you have done for us in Christ, and then to let that redound to your honor and to your glory and to your praise. So we pray that you would help us as we look into this particular um, event that happened on this special night, the night that Jesus was born. Pray that your spirit would help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we have something that is big, something that's going on in our life, maybe an event that's about to take place, that we want to get the word out, something exciting that we want to announce, there are no shortage of ways in this day and age to do that, especially with all the advantages that we have, all the digital advancements, uh, all the different kinds of applications, the different kind of apps that we have available to us. And baby announcements are one example of something that, that have become kind of a competition between parents for the most creative kind of announcement. There are sites that cater to that desire, sites like Pinterest and Shutterfly, sort of a one-stop shop for the latest ideas and how to make the most beautiful and creative announcement on the arrival of a new baby. And we've got to say that, that these announcements and these cards or these scrapbooks seem to get better and more creative all the time. Yet, even the latest... I think I can be confident in saying this. The latest and most creative and most costly baby announcements, they don't hold a candle to the announcement of the birth that we celebrate at Christmas. Over 2,000 years of history, which include many different advancements, the Industrial Revolution, the Digital Revolution that we're presently in, have not been able to match the glorious announcement of Jesus' birth. As far as I know, there's nothing that I've seen that can beat a choir of angels announcing a birth. That goes beyond all human possibility, literally. It's unrepeatable. No one's going to put that on Pinterest. It's otherworldly 
yet brilliant and magnificent and glorious. This is the baby announcement that beats all baby announcements. This announcement is on display in our Bible, in Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And these are very familiar verses. You know, you might just even know them from watching Charlie Brown Christmas. But let me read them for us again. And I'm not going to read them in the King James that uh, Charlie Brown read them in. But in, just before this, in verse 7, it says that Mary gave birth and, and wrapped the baby in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And so the context of this is that Jesus is newly born. And we want to pick it up in verse 8. This is likely just minutes after, or probably hours after he was born. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is an amazing scene. Usually, when there's a baby announcement, it's it's a couple, the parents, that will initiate this birth announcement. But here, it's God who sets this announcement into motion. An angel of the Lord comes with good news of great joy. And why not, right? This is God the Father announcing the birth of God the Son. So let's look at this familiar scene a little bit. And let's think of it as a a treasure that needs to be unburied from its familiarity. Let's dig out and and, and try to unearth what, what it is that makes this scene so spectacular. And I, and I want us not only to settle for rediscovering the wonder of this scene, just, just for the sake of sentimentality, we want to try to, to excavate the meaning and significance of this event, and especially the words of the angel, as well then as the song of the heavenly host, this angel sort of making the announcement, and then there's this backup choir with these glorious words. After all, this is significant because it is good news of great joy for all people and for you. First to the shepherds, but now for you is born a Savior. That's what makes this scene so spectacularly and stunningly glorious. The magnitude of this scene starts with information of how and where and to whom God decides to make this history-changing announcement. It's, a, it's, it's actually a strange choice of both audience and venue. When someone makes an announcement, they usually want to make sure it, it has the maximum impact and, and it gets the maximum reach. 
here at our church, we started promoting our, our Christmas Eve service a couple of weeks ago. And, and since Christmas Eve is one of those services where people come to church that don't normally go to church, we thought we, we needed to, to do everything possible to let people know that we were having a service and, and what time it's at and, and those details. One of the places that people usually look for that sort of thing in, in our day and age is on the internet and on social media. And so we've got all that information on our church website. But, but Facebook has an option where you can pay actually a very small amount, way less than a newspaper ad, to ex- extend the reach of an event announcement so that it goes, uh, in the case of Facebook, beyond the people that just like our, our page. And so that's what we did. We want the most people possible to be aware of our service. And, and we want to get the announcement of our of, of our event out to the widest swath of people in our, in our town and in our community. But God seems to do the opposite here. He seems to want to actually limit the reach of this news, at least here at the beginning. Here, the audience are a few shepherds, and I suppose we could add their sheep that are watching this as well, their flock. And the announcement happens at night, when most people are asleep. And God doesn't choose to announce this to those in authority or, or to those who would have influence so that the word of mouth can get out. He chooses shepherds. Even if the shepherds would tell about this news, they probably wouldn't have been believed. These were basically seen by the higher-ups as nobodies, as outcasts, even thieves. Shepherds were actually not allowed to act as witnesses in a court because they were seen as so dishonest. And that's the audience for, for this. Shepherds and animals. And the venue is not any better. It's a field. This is not Jerusalem. It's, it's not even old little town of Bethlehem. There were shepherds out in the field. Today we might say they were out in the sticks. They were out in the middle of nowhere. But this is the venue that God chooses for the biggest announcement ever made to humankind. Not just the biggest baby announcement, but the biggest announcement ever. And we have to say that this is just the way God is. This is the way God reveals himself. The whole Christmas story is marked by lowliness and Another made-up Sudfeld word, ordinariness and humility. It's not a queen's womb that carries the king of kings. He uses the womb of an ordinary girl from a backwoods town up in the province of Galilee. He doesn't use a high priest to prepare the way. He uses an old, child-lacking and faith-lacking priest and his wife. And then when the birth takes place, it, it, it doesn't happen in, in, in royal surroundings with the ready assistance of a 24-7 medical team at their disposal. It happens likely in a stable. And Jesus is laid into, if you can believe it, an animal feeding trough. There was nothing about the birth of this baby that was in any way spectacular. But when you really think about it, that kind of humility and ordinariness would mark the whole life of Jesus, right? 
When they prophesied about the Savior, he was pictured as a servant. Isaiah 53, verse 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And then when Jesus is described later by the Apostle Paul, this is in Philippians chapter 2, it says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And we're the same, in that Philippians 2, we're to have that same kind of mind in humility, considering more, others more significant than ourselves, looking out not for our own interests, but for the interests of others. Jesus when he began his ministry, says the same kind of thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The humble get the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. James, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is God's way. It is how we have to approach God recognizing our own spiritual poverty, while at the same time recognizing God's lavish riches that provide everything that we need. And, and those riches don't reside in us. We have, we have nothing to offer God that would commend us to him. But God reaches down to us, reaches down to us in our poverty with his treasures, most gloriously seen in the, in the provision of his Son. And that's how he chooses to reveal his grand and glorious purposes of salvation. A less than desirable audience and a less than ordinary venue at night out in the sticks. But what happens in front of these shepherds out in the field that night is definitely not ordinary. It is anything but. It is extraordinary. So, here comes the announcement. Actually, first the setup to the announcement. It says, and the and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. No kidding. They were, they were watching their flocks. You know, think of the scene here, watching, watching their flocks, doing what they do all the time, probably half asleep because they could just do this on autopilot. And all of a sudden, an angel interrupts the night and says, appears to them. And not only that, but the night, darkness, I mean, there's no... There's no city lights out there in, back in that day. The night turns bright. All of a sudden, with the glory of the Lord. That would have been an amazing sight. And we have to understand that this is the very presence of, of God. Remember, the Old Testament assures us very clearly that no man can see God and live. But this is as close as it gets. Notice the words. The angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. So you've got God's voice through an angel, and you have God's presence here described as his glory, the glory of the Lord. It kind of brings back all those Old Testament images of the traveling cloud, the, the Shekinah glory that guides the people of Israel out of Egypt and eventually towards the promised land through the wilderness. And then the tabernacle and the temple, which, which housed the glory of the Lord. And then because of Israel's repeated rebellion against God, Ezekiel 10 has an amazing vision where Ezekiel, he, he sees the glory of the Lord leaving the temple, departing the temple, and in essence leaving the people and leaving the land. Well, here in Luke 2, after that scene in Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord makes its return. 
And that's important. It's important in the history of how God loves us, how God keeps coming back to his sinful people. This is grace upon grace. This is God's mercy. This is God's love. And this is about to be the greatest act of love yet as he has come to his people in the person of his very own son. But here, out in the field at night, these shepherds are terrified. In one sense, this scene that's unraveling in front of their eyes is just so totally unexpected. They were unsuspecting, just doing what shepherds do, watching their flocks on a quiet, peaceful night, just like all the other nights. But all of a sudden, brightness and an angel and a voice, of course they were filled with fear. But in another sense, fear is just what happens when God meets man, when deity meets humanity, when the creator meets up with the created. When majesty meets up with the mundane. When Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6 there, he sees the, the glory of the Lord high and lifted up. The text pretty much says that he, he, he came apart. He came undone. He unraveled. Daniel says he was frightened and fell on his face. And we've already heard about Mary and Zacharias. Both of them were frightened when the angel came. And now we've got this third song with these filled with fear shepherds. When deity meets humanity, fear is the result. And now we get to the birth announcement. And the first thing the angel does here in the announcement is deal with the fear factor, right? The, the very first words from the angel are the same as the words to Mary and Zacharias. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Here it's fear not. How glad the shepherds must have been to hear that. Wouldn't you be? When you're in trouble, or when you think you're in trouble with your parents, and you find out that they've got something good for you instead, that's a sigh of relief, isn't it? Well, multiply that by a million when we're talking about pleasing God. The angel reassures them that he's come with good news, He's not come with bad news. He's come with joyful news. He's not coming with an announcement of the Father's judgment or his discipline. He says, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. This is all good. This is all joy. Fear not. Verse 9 says, they were filled with great fear, but now the angel brings news of great joy. That's the contrast. Great fear to great joy. And in the middle of that is good news. It's really actually a nice, very succinct summary of the kind of transformation God brings to the sinner through the gospel. We come from the fear that rightly goes because we are sinners, but the good news of the gospel produces great joy. First Peter 1 calls it joy inexpressible and filled with glory. What is this good news of great joy? Here it is, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That, that last part there just agrees back with verse 7 and what actually happened. You'll see the exact same words. That, that's how they would find the baby. That was the sign. So when they traveled 
around Bethlehem, that's what they were looking for. And babies, likely most babies, would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, but cloths, but none of them would be found in a manger. And so that's how they would identify Jesus. That was the sign. And I also think it's why the, the angel appearing to the shepherds, I think, happened within minutes of when he was born. And they were only a couple of miles away from Bethlehem, so they probably were able to travel there in you know, ways take a couple of miles, maybe less than an hour, and found Jesus exactly as Mary had laid him in the manger, and exactly as the angel had said. But it's the announcement that's significant for shepherds and for, for all people, for all humankind. The announcement describes the baby. That's what baby announcements do, right? They tell us who the parents are and, and they'll give us some of the vital statistics, you know, the, the, the weight and the length of the baby. And, and also in there is the baby's name. Well, here we see that as well, kind of, the name part. It, it doesn't here say that his name is, is Jesus. We find that out in Matthew's account, why he's named Jesus, because he would save the people from their sins. But the announcement here includes his job and his title. And this is what these shepherds needed to hear. This is what all people need to know about Jesus. This is truly good news of great joy for all the people. What every person needs to know about this Jesus is that he is the Savior. This is what God is doing in this amazing birth. He is sending a Savior. The baby's main role, the baby's main function, the baby's main purpose would be to save people. God is sending one who would save people from darkness to light, from, get this, from death to life. Friends, we desperately needed a Savior. One of the men that that uh, God used to really jumpstart my own growth in understanding who God is, died this week. His name is R.C. Sproul. He, He says this about our desperate need of a Savior and how God goes about saving us. He says God doesn't just throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and he pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea, and he takes him up on the bank and breathes into him the breath of life and makes him alive. That's what a Savior does. He's a rescuer. He brings us from death to life. In this baby, God is dealing with our deadness. He is sending one who is like us, yet is also like God. In fact, He is sending one who is truly man, born of a woman, and truly God, begotten by God. And all that so that he can qualify to be our Savior. He has come to seek and to save the lost. That was his reason for coming. That would be this baby's job. Unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means anointed one. Lord is really an interesting designation. Remember that there, in this scene here, there's an angel of the Lord and there's a, the glory of the Lord shining around, around them. That's clearly talking about God the Father. The Old Testament uses Lord to describe God's identity and his authority and his faithfulness 
his covenant faithfulness and loyalty to us, but now it says that this baby is Christ the Lord. That seems intentional here. This is a very obvious reference to the fact that Jesus is God. This newborn shares the same identity as the one, as the angel of the Lord, as the glory of the Lord that shone there. He is sent by the Lord, and he is the Lord. God has come to earth as a baby. God came to dwell among us. This is all part of God's amazing and wonderful, and as we see here, his glorious plan to save people to himself, to save sinners to himself. This is what Christmas is all about. One has come to earth who is truly a man, who is truly man and truly God, so that he could be our Savior. Unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we have here this announcement, and, and this announcement is not just a card with a cute picture and some information that, that, that looks really neat and pretty, but is mostly just important, really, when he comes down to it, to the parents and the baby. This announcement has information that is enormously and indispensably important for all people. Just minutes before this, a baby was born. That baby matters greatly to the shepherds. That baby matters greatly to all Israel. And that baby matters greatly to all people, to all who came before and to all who would come after. This announcement matters not only for those out in that field, matters not only to those in Bethlehem, not only to those up in Jerusalem, it matters for all those in Wetaskiwin. This is not one of those cute baby announcements that you put up on your fridge for a few months and then discard. This announcement and that baby has eternal significance and ought to be perpetually remembered and rejoiced over. Which is exactly what Christians do, isn't it? The significance of the angel's announcement is also the reason for what comes next. And here we get to the song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That was where the, song, the, the words of the song, suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, and this is what they were singing. Imagine these, what were before this, ordinary shepherds. Not only do they see, get to see and to hear an angel of the Lord, and not only do they see the glory of the Lord, the, 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 the dark night turning bright, they get to witness a choir of angels. Uh, a multitude of the heavenly host that's reinforcing what the one angel just announced. This, this multitude, literally the, the text says this army, soldiers, same word that's used for soldiers there, is praising God. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was God. They already had this knowledge. These angels had known this now baby as God the Son. They had known him as the second person of the Trinity. It starts to stretch the muscles of our brains, doesn't it? Alistair Begg, in his little book, Christmas Playlist, from which we sort of got the basic framework of this series, puts it this way. He says, The voice that made the cosmos 
could be heard crying in a cradle. The creator, the one who created the world, could be heard crying in a cradle. This baby is older than his conception. In fact, he always existed. And the angelic army knew that. They knew what this all meant. They knew that God's purposes from before the creation of the world were now going to a new level. All the prophecies were being fulfilled. God himself was going down to save his people. God himself was going down to save his people. And for all those beings that are up in heaven, that was cause for rejoicing. And so they came down too. They wanted to come down too, even for just a few lines of a song, to bring their rejoicing to earth there out in that field. That field became an amphitheater, became a stadium for the sounds of heaven. You know, when something reaches the level of chaos, sometimes we say that all hell broke loose. Well, we could say that this glorious announcement is the exact opposite. This good news of great joy caused all heaven to break loose. At least in the hearing and seeing of those shepherds out in that field. One guy I read this week calls this the first ever flash mob. <laughs> Even if the audience was just a flock of unresponsive sheep and a lowly band of unsuspecting shepherds. But this army sings God's praises. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In, a, in kind of a weird ir- irony, the angelic army, those heavenly soldiers, start to sing about peace. This is when the baby in the manger, or this is what the baby in the manger would come to bring, peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. So gl- glory to God in the highest And then on earth, that's the contrast, on the lowest parts, peace. This baby, this tiny baby that was in that manger would be a savior who would come down from heaven to bring peace for his people. And this is talking about peace with God, peace between man and God. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we need this peace with God? We need it because the Bible says that we are at war with God. In our sin, we have, in essence, set ourselves against God. We have declared our independence from God and rebelled against his rightful place as our ruler, as our Lord, if you want to use that word. But at this first Christmas, God reaches down to do something about that. We might try to achieve peace for ourselves, maybe by obeying religious rules, maybe by trying to uh, dull the turmoil that resides in our hearts sometimes in various ways through distraction, might be through the pursuits of the world, might be through somehow intoxicating ourselves and, and dulling the pain. It might even be through acts of goodwill to men. We think we can achieve peace that way. But those things don't grant us peace with God. It's only this baby that can do that. Only through this prince of peace, as he was designated there in in Isaiah chapter 9, only through this prince of peace are 
God and sinners reconciled. How do you respond to such good news of great joy? The shepherds, you just think, they must have been awed and overwhelmed by this glorious display. But, but the shepherds also are a good example for us in the fact that they didn't, they didn't just stay there. They heard the words of these angels, they heard the announcement, they heard the good news, and then they believed the good news. It says they went in haste and they found the baby. How about you? I would encourage you not to just be found at Christmas being awed by the displays, by the nativity scenes, maybe even being moved by the music. Don't just be content to stay out in the field amazed by what you've just experienced. Don't just stick the baby announcement to your fridge for a few months and then file it. Hear the message of this announcement. See what this baby has achieved for you. Unto you is born this day a Savior who has come to earth to bring peace for you. If you have not yet come to Christ, I encourage you to do that today. Turn from your sins and then put your faith and your trust, all your reliance on the Savior, Christ the Lord. And if you have already believed, then once Christmas is over, I would ask you just to and encourage you maybe just to take your cues from these shepherds after they saw the baby. These shepherds were never the same. It says at the end of that section, verse 23, that they, verse 20, that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. After they went to see the baby, they returned. And once they returned, they had a, a mindset of glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Let that be your experience this Christmas. Meditate upon what Christ has done, what he means for you, and then glorify and praise the Lord. And then tell others about him. That's what the shepherds did next, right? They went and told everyone else. Let that be our experience as well. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this season. We're so thankful for this this time of the year that reminds us of what you have so gloriously and so wondrously and, and yet so sacrificially done for your people, accomplished on, on our behalf. The magnitude of your coming to earth, it's obvious through the appearing of your glory in those fields on that night. This truly is good news of great joy. We are, our Father, eternally thankful that through this baby that would, would eventually die on a cross, as the lady sang a little while ago, that through this baby we can have peace with you. What joy. What grace. We thank you. We bless you. We glorify you. We praise you. May, may our songs this Christmas be an expression of joy that is inexpressible. May they be an expression of joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.